Hello and welcome to the Week in Review. This is a, a special episode in that we'll be talking solely about coronavirus. I'm sure the views have dipped straight away there since people are so sick about the topic. But of course, we've recently passed the, the uh, anniversary of the Free Week pledge, and it's been a rather long three weeks. And um, we may even be suffering these emergency so-called measures for much longer than the six months that were voted for in Parliament yesterday. Charles Walker MP said that as sure as eggs are eggs, we'll be back in September voting on the very same measures for the same amount of time and that it's not over yet. I'm joined in this episode, as with every episode, by SD Wicket. Sam, how are you? Yeah, good, Michael. Just waiting for this uh, very long three weeks to end. Absolutely. And Luke Perry, how are you today? Uh, I'm fine. And just to wish you to a, a very happy anniversary for lockdowns. Hopefully, well, not, not, hopefully no more three weeks, but uh-huh. we'll see. We'll see. Well, anyway, on the first matter then, I mean, Desmond Swain in, in the debate yesterday, um, after which 484 MPs voted to renew the Coronavirus Act, which puts, us, um, puts these measures into place for another six months at least, said that tyranny is a habit and we haven't quite kicked it yet. How is it that we've been overcome by this habit? Luke, I'll ask you first. Well, uh, as history has shown, you give governments emergency powers and they don't really want to give them back. We, were, we saw this with, with, with the war on terror. And the Twin Towers fell down when I was about one years old and the, um, statute and the, uh, the laws are still on the books, both at home and abroad. And I think with uh, the, these lockdowns, it, it's been... The biggest power grab in the Western world since, well, it, definitely in the post-war period, and uh, so they've been able to basically build a quasi-police state. They've then have such power and control over the hearts and minds of the citizens that this this is addictive, as Desmond Swain says. They're not going to give it back easily, and if Parliament is so submissive and there's no real threat from the establishment figures like the press or the universities. The government are just going to keep going. Well, you mentioned there that the sort of the government messaging and the, the messaging from the press um, has been swallowed by by citizens, by by the public. Um, Lord Jonathan Sumption said today, actually, um, that things like face masks and social distancing could last for years, maybe up to a decade, if not longer. Just like measures like the national ID card and wartime rationing lasted way after the Second World War. And part of his reason for saying this was that the public has become used to these measures. We shouldn't expect the government to get rid of measures which the public is quite happy now, um, content with continuing pushing forward. So Sam, I ask you, when we've talked about how it is the government has got swept up in this, this mindset of tyranny and that it doesn't like to let go of powers, but why is it that those upon whom they're being tyrannical the people have accepted this. Why is there not more backlash? Well, the, fir- the first thing is safety. People, um, in, in, in our time, people value safety and comfort over their own freedom, their own autonomy. And their own- the other thing is that this is, this is like a vampire that you have to invite it in for it to enter your home. You know? Originally, the, um, the rhetoric of the establishment was completely different. You know, in January and February, they're telling us, don't worry, the WHO told us this doesn't spread person to person. We were told masks don't work, there was no fear. Nancy Pelosi told people to go to Chinatown. Uh, Boris Johnson famously shook hands with people who had coronavirus. 
during which the public fear of the virus was raised by the media to the point where they begged for restrictions. You know, by the time the first lockdown came along, people were, were you know, at their doors calling for it. Um, and now it's at the point where it's all, all encompassing with no end in sight. And for the, the, the masses who have just gone along with this without questioning it, it's like a frog in water. Mm. It, it's happening too slowly for them to really understand how hot the water's getting until it's too late. Yeah, I mean, I suppose to an extent, it, it almost doesn't seem as though we've been doing this for a year. It seems like an eternity, but at the same time, it seems like only yesterday that we were allowed to go to pubs and we were allowed to do crazy things like see our family. And the state enabled grandparents to, to see their grandchildren grow up. And, and, and also, I mean, one of, the, one of the most depressing things we've been seeing recently is the inability of uh, especially elderly couples uh, being able to see each other in their, their last moments. We talked in our podcast last week, or I, I brought up a, a chap who is a, a regular at the shop I work at, whose wife has been in hospital for a few weeks. Um, and he talks of the immense pain and, and suffering she felt, not COVID related, by the way, um, before she died, not only physically, but also mentally, and that she was alone. And those who are able to give her comfort because they know her just weren't there. And there's a, a report in the a BBC the other day, which is very similar about a, an elderly couple, um, the wife in which developed dementia some years ago. She's been in a care home for about three years and every single day that she's been in the care home, her husband has gone to visit her, not, not failing to visit on any single day um, and to, to comfort her and to try and, um, to try and keep a semblance of normality in her life. But of course, during this crazy past year, he's been unable to do that. Um, was only allowed to see her once before she died in a very strange meeting um, in which he said he didn't really think she knew what was going on. Um, I think it's like this just seemed to me to be completely inhumane. I mean, surely, um, and, and people have said this, people would rather actually cut their lives a little shorter if it meant they could be around those who they love um, and care for than live for longer in isolation, alone, scared and and unaware really of what's what's going on um so that's that's part of the part of the health and mental crisis that has come out of this period of lockdown but as you say people still support it people want the measures to continue and at the moment there doesn't seem to be an end to the restrictions because there isn't enough of a backlash i mean perhaps we should comment slightly on the on the vote yesterday so as i said 484 mps voted for the continuation uh, by another six months of the Coronavirus Act, only 76 voted against. Do you think that if the public was creating a bit more of a backlash to these restrictions, that that 484 figure would be a lot lower than it is? It would make sense to do so, but yet again, you have, look at other issues like Brexit, for instance, where you have MPs who are Remain, who are MPs in overwhelmingly leave seats who didn't, who didn't respect that. You know, that pressure should be there, but it, it's, you know, the last couple of years it turns out it isn't necessarily. Um, MPs in, with very, very slim margins should be looking at this very carefully because it's going to get to the point where in the same areas that voted leave overwhelmingly, public sentiment is just going to collapse because, that, because it's, it's becoming a cultural thing, right? Like, like a part of the culture war where you're either on the side of the fence of anti that's become a cultural issue now 
So those same seats which were which play that crucial role in, in, in Brexit will probably be at the forefront of this. And there are lots of MPs in those seats who are who have voted for this and it hopefully will will feel the wrath of the electorate. But um I'm not holding, holding my breath there. Well, there are also local elections coming up. Well, if they do go ahead, they were cancelled last year, which uh, not necessarily MPs would be looking looking at them and scowling, but um, the party machines themselves. If they if they see a, a a sharp collapse in turnout, but they still get in, they wouldn't worry. But if there'd be credible opposition, that they are. Uh, would start to flinch but the problem is we have we have no credible opposition yes that there may be the reform party but that that should be right now as powerful as a brexit party was at the time of the then eu elections but but that power and that authority is just not there so you have um basically a one-party state labor and the conservatives not so more the lib dems are locking hands in favor of lockdown and voters who um ha have just endured being having Jordan having been shut up and told what to do yeah I mean I suppose a lot of this confirms people's doubts about parliamentary the, the parliamentary democracy which we have as you say Sam this isn't anything new the Brexit debate um, I think was it a 77% turnout in the population of the two major parties completely disagreed with the verdict that that turnout produced in the in the Brexit referendum in 2016 um, now, in this matter, it, it might not actually be, as we've said, that, that Parliament disagrees very strongly with the population, considering um, that so many people um, do support the restrictions. But I mean, one, one interesting aspect which has been shown about the way human beings behave and, and uh, believe certain things over the last year is that whilst the polling is so high um, in, in favour of, of lockdowns, it's questionable whether the people who say they agree with tighter, strict lockdowns and who complain about celebrities meeting with people when they shouldn't be. It's hard to imagine that these people also follow all the rules to the letter themselves. I mean, in the small anecdotal example of me working at the shop, I always see that those who shake their heads at people walking um, uh, in the wrong direction, according to the, the floor, arrow floor markings, um, are the quickest ones to embrace their friends outside, to hug and cuddle and to talk and to to step within that dreaded two metre or six foot six inches zone. Um, so I suppose that's one aspect in which which people have, have said they disagree with the measures, but whether or not they, they act on that is a different matter. Mm. Well, it's 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 a status thing, isn't it? You 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 have to be seen to be sufficient in your fight against in your you know, in your participation in the collective fight against coronavirus. How, how you, your personal conduct doesn't really matter. It's it's it's, it's what you portray. It's what is the is the look you give people or the the way which you berate the wrong thinker. It's, it's got mm. nothing to do with whether one actually goes along with the rules. I, like the, some people that I know who are the most in favour of these rules don't personally follow them, and the reason that, that they give is that they can make a a, a um. An estimated risk, which undermines the whole point of lockdown in the first place, because people can make that informed decision. They can take the, take the risk, um, and you're seeing it with the leaders too. I mean, how many how many people who put these laws in place have since broken them? Mm. Um, the the governor of California, Nancy Pelosi, um, Nile Ferguson, um, Dominic Cummings. A lot of a lot of people who voted for these rules and called for them aren't abiding by them, and and 
it just shows you how 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 uninformed so many people are because you don't really need to look that far to see this stuff. Yeah. Part of the support for, well, part of public support for lockdowns is short-termism as well. Think, think of the furlough. People can, people can support lockdowns because they're, they're still getting paid, they're still getting income, can still feed themselves. Practically unawares that the long-term effect is they will be on a different kind of furlough pay, one that is permanent and um, cheaper. And um, I think it's also because of, we have no sense of history anymore in this country. We've sort of lost the connection with the past of the sacrifices that's been made by our ancestors in forging this, this very unique way of life, this way of liberty in England. And um, that's why people can support mandatory vaccination. They can say, oh yes, you, you can stick foreign chemicals into my body. If I, I can go to the pub unaware that that is very, very draconian. Mm. Well, we, we've talked about some of the some of the government's failures, and I'm sure we'll do a bit more of that shortly. But we'll, we'll go on to the vaccine since you've raised it. I mean, the the vaccine rollout in Britain has been very successful. It has to be said. Um, I think a lot of people, um, lockdown sceptics as they've been termed, uh, included, have been surprised by just how effective the system has been. Um, we're, we're at a stage now where a quarter of all people over 80 in, in Britain are likely to have had both doses of the vaccine, not just the first. And I think half of adults in the UK generally um, have had at least the first dose of the vaccine. Um, now, maybe this success is getting to the government's head because some of the recent announcements have taken the vaccine away from being this, this voluntary uh, dose, which people can choose to take if they want to protect themselves from the coronavirus, um, to something which increasingly is being forced upon us by the state. As we know, care home workers, we discussed this last week, care home workers now um, will not be able to continue working in the profession unless they've had a vaccine. Um, and we're even seeing suggestions of essentially vaccine passports, not just internationally, but within our own borders, such as to go to the pub. How did we get to this stage in particular? Well, again, it was, it was incremental. It was one by one by one by one. It was, and it was carried by consistent fear-mongering. If you go back to um, the period between the virus first leaving China and the first lockdown, the, we, we didn't know what this thing was and we were bracing ourselves for it to be like a Justinian plague that was gonna run through society and you know everyone would lose loved ones to this thing. And the media carried that and that fear was raised to the point where we, we begged for lockdown. Now, a year later, we know it only, the, the fatality rate is around 2%. It, o it only really seriously affects a very small part of the population. For the average person, it's either a very mild illness or symptomless. So the, the, the restrictions have completely jumped the shark, but we now know that the virus isn't anywhere near as deadly as we were bracing it to be when we first called for this. But people don't care because they're terrified. It's not well. knowledge counts for naught if they can continue the narrative and then ramp up the hysteria. I mean, we know that the virus doesn't, doesn't kill young people, but there are many people in this country who think it does. Mm. It, I think, and the media have played into this, I think I saw a Sky News headline once that um, said that people in their 30s are dying. Well, people that have died in their 30s can count on one hand. Mm. And they've most likely had pre-existing conditions. So it's just, as long as the hysteria remains, we are not going anywhere. We're sort of, we're sort of in a, a, a sort of Chinese finger trap here. 
where the more the more you sort you sort of squirm and, and say no, the more the propaganda doubles down. I think another point on this as well. Um, I've noticed in in reports of, of what people think, but also from talking to people at the shop who who favour the restrictions, that when people question themselves why we're still in lockdown despite having been told it would only be for three weeks their reason isn't the government is doing the wrong thing the government is pushing this too hard the government is is pushing forward with these restrictions when it should be rolling them back instead the people who are blamed are the people who aren't wearing the masks who aren't as i say walking the right way around the shops um, and now of course who aren't taking the vaccine and i think a lot of this has got to do precisely with media coverage in recent weeks, as, as the vaccine has, has um, sort of reached the point where it's been approved by um, different nations, uh, medical organisations, what the media has been saying, especially when there's been mention of vaccine passports, is not vaccine passports will prevent people who don't take the jab from going abroad, but instead vaccine passports, your ticket to freedom. It always spins it, not, not even in a neutral way. It doesn't say this will benefit those with it and, and, and disregard those without it. It completely takes the government line, which is, this is your ticket to freedom. Therefore, people don't question whether or not this is a good or a bad thing. Because the press says this is your ticket to freedom, they take it as being solely good. And those people who decide for whatever reason, some of them legitimate, some of them uh, maybe less so, but still it's their choice, of course, um, to take the vaccine, um, and that means um, that rather than the government being blamed for putting, uh, for enforcing restrictive measures which prevent certain people from travelling abroad or from going to the pub, um, the, the onus is on those people who, for whatever reason, some legitimate, some less legitimate, but of course it's still their choice, uh, decide not to take the vaccine. It's a pure divide and conquer tactic. The primary purpose being that the government can absolve itself of blame. It can say, oh, we had all these rules. You, you just didn't follow them. That also says that, that they also says to the people that how can we know if these uh, restrictions worked or not if you, if you hadn't followed them? And as the intention was pure, that the restrictions were intended to work, the government can say the people have fluffed it. And um, it, it means that the people who are fed up of lockdown, I'm, I'm actually, I actually think that many supporters of lockdown have, have had enough, have had enough of it, to be honest. And uh, so they don't direct their anger towards the government for continuing these restrictions. They instead direct it at their fellow man, like the COVID insult that just seems to have taken over Twitter in recent times. Reject mix for those who don't take the jab. Yes, the, the, the Daily Mail's favourite new state-sponsored line. And it's... so. <laughs> How do, how do how do we get out of how do how do we get out of lockdown now if if we're constantly at, at arms with each other? If you if you've ever witnessed a someone who is fanatically in favour of all this stuff interact with someone who isn't, if you if you if you look at the language and the, the mode of attack they use, it's it's like an instant just sort of jugular. It's immediately an attack on that person's moral character. It's it and, and it's so, like whenever I whenever I hear someone. So you know, spout those like same talking points. What I can think is, I, I've heard those exact same words verbatim a thousand times before from different people because it's just it's the line. That's what that's what you you do. And and the media as is yeah is is massively involved with this. And so I, I'm on the BBC page right now, and I'm in the coronavirus section. And these are these are some of the the helpful learning guides they put on the site. Is our pandemics the new normal? 
am I allowed to give my friends a hug? It's 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 be, like trusted media sources are being used to to just stake this new ra- new health regime, and it's it's just it's disturbing. You mentioned um, the, the 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 vaccine passport being a, a route to freedom. There's it's it's, it's almost uh, it's almost funny how how paradoxical that is. The, the, the term freedom passport. You know, if, if you require a document for your freedom, then you aren't particularly free. Um, and I think we all saw it coming the um, the stringent laws around hospitality, where they're now toying with the idea of you know requiring um, some sort of certificate to uh, enter a pub. Um, according to the Mail, there's uh, there's uh, there'll be three ways to get a COVID certificate. One is the vaccine, which is valid indefinitely. One is a negative test, which is a paper out of your own uh, pockets, and the um, third is an antibody test, which um, can can allow you into a hub for quote-unquote weeks. Something that you need to continue renewing, is that? And like a Netflix subscription, you, you just... Uh... <laughs> these tests yeah. aren't cheap either. No, well, well of course, uh, the, the Guardian headline today, I believe, on the, on the front page, is that the, the vaccine passport is basically, of course, it's, it's words aren't quite like this because it's, it's um, speaking through the government's voice box. But the, the vaccine passport idea is essentially there to scare young people into having a vaccine because young people are those who are, who are least likely since, since COVID has the, the least impact on them. Um, so I think the, the, the whole point of this now is to make people who perhaps are sitting on the fence going, well, I'm not bothered either way, make them go, well, hang on a minute. I'm not not going to the pub. I'm just going to get the vaccine. Um, that seems to be the idea there. And, and what you say, it's, it's like double speak, um, Sam. What you just said said there about uh, the idea of a, a vaccine passport being the, the opposite of freedom. And we we've t- touched on Orwell a few times through these th- these podcast sessions. Um, I, I try to to turn us away from that often because I think it's it's almost as bad, or at least viewed as bad, as bringing up the Nazis in a debate um, in politics. But it has to be said that the, the comparison is too sweet to, to decline between you know, the idea of Orwell's war is peace in 1984 and the current idea of, of COVID certificate is freedom. Um, the, the two words just don't match, only in this crazy upside down world which we have um, entered into over the last year could those two words possibly said in the same sentence without someone either grinning or or giving up with politics altogether there is there is certainly a a godwin's law for orwell but he, he he's he's a writer who you know, once you read a book like 1984 or animal farm it enters your um your prism of viewing the world irreversibly and you kind of you, you, you once you see something that reminds you of that you have that kind of instant disgust response um yeah yeah i mean I, kind of nailed it there with um with with words being flipped on their head as a way of sort of confusing you and discombobulating you and into the point where you ultimately acquiesce because you don't you don't understand what's happening anymore hmm. I mean, again we've had this for so long this is it must be said is nothing new and i think it heightened through the brexit era in which in, in which our increased control of borders actually meant more immigration um and, and when we're told that you know increased control of, of law and order um and trying to bring back liberty to Britain streets actually means preventing people from protesting uh, beyond certain limitations. Um, so none of this is, is new, but it's certainly been heightened in this time. 
So a number of, of business leaders have made it clear that even before lockdown, they, they wanted hybrid working, which is where people work at least some of the time uh, from home to become more of a regular thing. But of course, through lockdown, that's massively ramped up. Um, where I mean, at the minute, it is the norm. It's all people do. I've, I've been talking to some people who maybe have gone to the office once a week now, or, or usually only to collect some folders rather than to do any actual work there. So that's that's one of the changes. But we, we won't go into that since we've talked about it before. Uh, but another one on in the line of businesses um, is about the changes we're likely to see when we're allowed back on the high street to the high street. Um, so in 2020, a recent study found that 11,000 outlets, shops, some of them chains, some of them independent, shut permanently. It's expected that in 2021, 18,000 will shut. That's one of the scenarios. Um, but at the minute, it's sort of, some of the figures are perhaps understating the damage that might be done because these only include shops which you know, have declared that they're finished, done over that have actually properly shut whereas in a lot of cases there are um, shops which won't open once lockdown is over because they won't be able to but they haven't officially shut if you see what I mean for example the latest John Lewis shops I think another eight of them have shut um, they reported this as being that they won't reopen when lockdown ends so currently they do technically exist um, so I think we could actually see a lot worse uh, statistics mm. when we yeah. are finally brought out of lockdown that's the thing is that there's all the all the stats that are going to completely undermine this whole thing and and show us that it was all for nothing uh, are delayed you know, we, we aren't we aren't going to really see them uh, manifest for for at least a year now and when and, and, and when they do i i sincerely hope people wake up to what they've brought upon themselves hmm. well it's would retroactive support of lockdown be so high when the real figures are here and yeah. five million are unemployed <laughs> the economy is in ruins the the nhs is suffering a bigger crisis than it would have when covid patients were rolling through the door with you know, untested on um you know ca lack of cancer treatments and um more uh, efforts being put towards heart disease which has still be, has remained the biggest killer in this country e even higher than covid yeah and uh, it's just uh, i i seem if i do want to if i do want to get all tinfoil hatty i i would say that uh, this was never about health in the first place for one big sort of contradiction in society the off license and the takeaways remain open the gyms remain shut mm. And are only advised to leave our home for what one once a once a day, an hour of exercise, like we're in prison. Yeah, no, it's, it's lunacy. On the point of of cancer referrals as well. I mean, one of the recent reports on lung cancer specifically was that there's been a, a drop in lung cancer referrals by a third, which is humongous. Um, and it, it's interesting. The, the, the difficulty with tallying this is that with with COVID deaths, it's very easy. X amount of COVID deaths, there you are. I mean, of course, we know that some of these deaths would be wrongly reported. People might have had COVID, but actually died of something else. But let's pretend that's not the case and say, right, we can very easily easily measure how many people are dying from COVID. But the impact of, of the decrease in cancer referrals and in, in heart disease and all other forms of illness, and of course, as well in, in mental illness, the, it's hard to tally this. And the figures aren't represented right now because, as I say, people um, are only 3% likely to survive for five years or more 
Um, so we're, we're not seeing these tallies now alongside the number of deaths from COVID, but we could in a few years time uh, see that not only have people's lives uh, and the quality of their lives been reduced, but that we'll have a lot of people losing their lives from diseases, which if spotted, um, they could have survived from. Every, everything, everything has fallen by the wayside. We, we, we have become a virus response with a nation attached to it. Mm. Yeah, it's a good way of putting it. Mm. Uh, now, Sam, you, you also wanted to talk about some of the contradictions in, in the measures which have been enforced over the last year. So what is it that, what, that's particularly interested you on, on that theme? Well, one is, it just seems to strike, like, the more I've sort of observed and realised, the more I've, I've come to see that a lot of these, a lot of the sort of the, 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 the minute codes of conduct in this new normal are utterly symbolic. And when you really think about it for more than a couple of seconds, it's just pointless. I'll give you some examples. So um, despite, you know, uh, it, it being significantly less enjoyable, I still like to watch the football. And whenever I do, the teams walk out at different times, they're staggered, they don't shake hands, you know, they, um, they're kept separate at every point up until the game. Then once the whistle blows, they're playing a close contact sport where they're pushing each other, grabbing each other. They're, when players score, they celebrate together. After the game, people, people high five and hug and that, that kind of thing. Um, or if you go to a pub, like I, I mentioned in an earlier episode, in being in the pub and wanting to play on the, on the, on the, um, the uh, arcade machine, and I had to sit on a stool because if I stood, um, that was in violation of the rules. Yet, you know, the, so it, what, three inches difference in height uh, changed the whole thing. And there are so such obvious contradictions to this. But it's, again, it's, it's like it's being used to stake in that this is normal now. Mm. You know, and eventually, you know, people's wills get broken and they just they, they just sort of shrug their shoulders and look down on their feet and they just go along with it because it's easier. Another thing that I'm noticing is, again, back onto the idea of uh, the new normal being, being pushed upon us, um, masks in advertising are really common now. And I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm, I'm feeling the, the, the conditioning of it. Like I, I, I was watching a film last night and there was a scene with a, a large crowd. And I found myself thinking, that's strange. Yeah, it felt it felt alien to me that, that you know more than six people have got, have, were were in the same spot. Mm. We talked before we recorded about uh, an episode of EastEnders recently, which uh, ordinarily I can't imagine any of us would watch, but a, a particular scene in which um, essentially a, a lady who expressed concern about the vaccine uh, was largely condemned by two of her otherwise friends um, and. Well, I suppose it's, it's essentially a form of propaganda um, it was, where we have these nice, happy, happy um, characters who people tune into every week and get close to and warm to, um, who now have these actually quite serious political matters that they're, they're weighing up, which, which sadly informs people's decision making. It was such mm. naked propaganda. I mean, the woman was depicted as being this kind of, you know, this, this shab woman who, you know, it was inarticulate and didn't, you know, and just didn't trust the vaccine. And it, it was, it was such a, a willful misrepresentation of people who are skeptical of what is becoming a, 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 a indirectly mandatory medical procedure. It's, it's not just, you know, the, 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 the cartoon of what an anti-vaxxer is. It's, you know, it's, and it's the most alarming trend of all this that is that you aren't allowed to ask questions. 
I mean, it just seems nowadays that you can't walk down the street without feeling like you're a bad person. That there's in everyone's window, there's the uh, the rainbow flags and the stay at homes, meaning that you're outside the home, you must be doing something wrong. Uh, bus shelters, you have the propaganda, you have the, the poster of look into my eyes and tell me you're um, in solitary confinement. Yeah, it's and then um, there's this new one that has a one in th one in three who have coronavirus don't express symptoms and of course that that makes you think oh my god am i doing something wrong mm -hmm. and then when you, when you walk into supermarkets besides the canned pop songs that always dig into my very soul there's an announcement saying please wear a face mask well well not only that luke you've got you've got guards there you have guards on the door i i've worked in a, in a supermarket for the past year right Pretty much every single day, especially early morning and late evening shifts, someone came in and nicked something. Every single day. It was always up the meat aisle, whacking some steaks in the bag or, or the coffee aisle as well. That's a popular one to get nicked. And for the first four months, nothing was done about this. And of course, I, the shop wasn't opened when I turned up. It's been there for decades. And I'm sure the exact same thing has been happening for years and years. And in many cases, actually, the shop knew who the people were. They looked on the security side, they said, bloody hell, not him again. We've notified the police. They've never done anything. The police have been useless. But as soon as this mask mandate came in, all of a sudden, the shop took a serious line on whether or not people were following mm. government rules. And people who walk into the shop are now confronted with usually a large, quite scary uh, guard Bear in mind, most customers are quite old in a, in a sort of local shop like this one. Um, and if you're not wearing a mask, they will say, why are you not wearing a mask? There's a mask here. You must wear it, all this sort of stuff. Um, even, even if people say they're exempt, they question why they're exempt. And it seems a, a, bizarre, um, a bizarre contradiction, again, from the fact that very little is done when people come in and steal profits from a shop yet when someone doesn't wear a face mask which as we've said the, the who for a very long time said there's pointless there's no evidence that they work uh, and the government even said the same uh, but there's a sudden reversal apparently on political lines that it was reported by a bbc journalist as soon as this comes in they start taking matters seriously they have guards in um it's it's intimidating that's the word the word i've been searching for it's intimidating um, that's, that's, that's what they call uh, a narco tyranny where um the the authorities don't target the disruptors of society they target regular people who at this point are powerless to defend themselves but it's so much easier isn't it mm. i mean who if you were a, a police officer or a guard would you rather go up to and confront the sort of shabby scary looking person who's come in and and nicked a few uh, joints of gammon or would you rather confront the wivery old lady who on one occasion has forgot to put on a mask uh, and is bent forward um, because of a, a poor spine structure uh, and has a very low quivering voice. <laughs> Always they pick the latter. And I think that's actually a terrible disgrace that the people who um, are the most frail and in the most need of, of general care are treated in a sort of bully boy manner. Mm. Yeah, bullying is the right time for it. It's, it's, a, it's a bully mentality. You see it on the playground every day. Mm. You know, it's 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 you you know one rule of bullies is they don't become people of their own size. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, there we are. We we of course have talked there about the the last the last year of COVID. A lot of the developments have been quite recent, and I wouldn't be surprised if we have another um, longest three weeks of our lives episode in another twelve months. But let's 
let's keep some hope that that, that isn't the case. Um, but COVID, despite what the government wants you to believe, hasn't been the only thing happening over the last week, never mind the last year. Um, and there's been quite a few stories which, had it not been for this um, extended discussion, we would have wanted to cover properly, but we'll still go into them a little. Luke, I know there's a, a topic which has, has struck your attention this week, which you'd like to bring up. Yes, um, well, well, COVID seems to have uh, shoved everything under the rug, but um, stories and problems still persists under this story is of, of the West's new blasphemy laws. And, uh, oh, and a couple of days ago, there was um, a school teacher in Yorkshire who showed the um, pictures, caricature of the, the Prophet Muhammad. They believe it was from the, the satirical French cartoon Charlie Hebdo, the, um, the outlet which, well, was which had 12 journalists killed by a gunman in 2015 in the Parisian headquarters. So, and that was shown to a religious education class. And uh, because of many of the students were Muslim, many of the parents were Muslim, the uh, school got a torrent of complaints. And there was a protest outside the school the, the very next morning. And um, sort of, not representatives of the local Muslim community, but sort of, Members of the local area just contacted others to say um, to demand that they protest outside this school. The, the school, the most frightening thing, caved in. The teacher has now been suspended, and uh, in repeat of the Salman Rushdie scandal, he's now in hiding in fear of his life. And um, the press have hardly touched upon it, which is equally disgraceful. And uh, well, we've been talking forever about our freedoms in this country been slowly chipped away. And this has been um, an, another casualty. Well, you, you mentioned Charlie Hebdo. I mean, you can't forget um, the, uh, the the teacher in France who did this last year and was beheaded in the street. Yeah, yeah. Samuel Paty. Yeah. There's, there's, as Luke said, there's very little to read about it. Um, mm. It's been on the covers, but only in picture form, I think. Um, mm. Which is a bit useless. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... This, this, this would be a major story. This would break international headlines 10 years ago hmm. but it, it, it seems to have become so numb to this type of behavior yeah and, and like, oh, that's accepted as normal and and if if the worst does happen and this individual is you know um well, killed because of this which i mean there is there is precedent of when extremists get upset people tend to die um how, how long will that be in the news cycle it's like the first episode we, we did do the show we covered the the uh, the murder of um, Ollie Stevens in Reading, which should have been a once in a generation scandal, but it wasn't. It was just just, just a news story that within weeks was gone. Yeah, so this is that's sort of the latest showing of intolerance to to certain views, um, and we've not even we've not only seen it rather from from individuals protesting um, against this what should be a fairly innocent showing of a picture to children who are in a certain place to learn about a certain topic. Uh, but also from a country, China. Luke, you've also been looking at that. What what have you got to say about China's recent developments? Yes, well, well the, the the UK government and a few prominent MPs have um, condemned the uh, abuse of human rights in China, particularly in the Xinjiang region, where um, the the central government of Be of Beijing is uh, persecuting the local Uyghur population. It's well, it's it's a genocide not seen since the Holocaust. Really, there's concentration camps, children separated from their families, absolutely atrocious. And uh, so, um, a few uh, high-profile MPs, such as Rob and Ian Duncan Smith, have condemned the 
Chinese government and the Chinese government to have a hit back with sanctions and have banned um, a few a banned British citizens have banned um, a few British citizens from um, such as Rob from entering China from doing deals with Chinese businesses and China have a claim that this condemnation from the government from the UK government originated from misinformation lies the usual excuses of totalitarian states but um, again it shows the power of China if they're willing to do this mm. but since with everything nothing will be done about it it will be a footnote mm. in the news yes well the um it's yeah it's like it's five mps two um peers in the house of lords a lawyer and an academic um there's an interview with one of the um individuals targeted a, a member of parliament I, I i can't recall who um who's saying that it effectively doesn't really hurt him that much because he has no interest in china but what it is is it's a it's a fear tactic right it's you know everyone knows china is a growing power a significantly growing power um, which is basically monopolizing its region and to, to to face the wrath of that is enough to make you know weaker men uh, turn around and run the other way yeah absolutely i think an interesting thing on this topic as well is is again how few people know about it which in part is i think due to lack of media coverage but also a lot of people don't understand what's going on in China um, in these camps and perhaps also touching on what we talked about earlier people's inability to compare what's happening now to what's happened in the past I think people just can't imagine this sort of thing happening today we seem to imagine that we live in a modern advanced progressive technological world in which nothing horrible um, in this sort of sense can happen the only the only bad things that happen are people being racist or homophobic um, yeah but actually it's the it's the it's the post-war delusion yeah yeah uh, you know we people believe we're, we live in a world of peace now um or at least would like us to but, but i think those who usually are the most vocal against um let's say inhumanity have been very quiet on this topic um which is is not only strange but quite upsetting to see hmm. i'm not surprised no well, I think on that bombshell, we've we've talked mainly about lockdown today, and I imagine it will feature in our our discussion next week. But um, it's not going to be the the overarching theme. You'll be pleased to hear, um, or maybe not. I don't know. Uh, but we'll we'll leave it here for for this week's discussion. Thanks all for for listening. Thank you, Sam and Luke. We'll be back next week. <laughs>